Good morning, everybody. It's so wonderful to see you all here this morning. We're so glad that you're going to join us for worship. Uh, we hope that it's uh, just going to be a pleasing and uh, honoring time to the Lord. If you're watching with us online, uh, we'd just like to extend a special welcome to you as well. Um, we're just so glad that you're here, and we'd like to ask you um, just to comment and let us know that you're watching. Um, we also just want to let you know that we have online hosts available for you. Um, and they can answer any questions you may have, pray with you, uh, whatever you may need. So please don't hesitate to um, contact them and uh, just talk with them um, during the service. I'd like to just ask you all to stand as we go into a wonderful time of worship this morning. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive.
This week is week three of our Advent reading. Today is the third Sunday of Advent, marking the middle of this blessed season of celebration and anticipation, celebrating Christ's first coming and anticipating his second. Today we light the shepherd's candle as we recall the first people God wanted to hear the news about Christ's birth. He didn't choose the richest or the most well-known, but rather he chose to announce the birth of his son to the poor and lowly shepherds. Hear now the word of the Lord, written in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Thanks be to God.
Father, this morning we just thank you for being forever ours. God, for sticking with us through thick and thin, through the countless trials, mishaps, hardships. God, all we need to do is just cast our burdens to you. You're forever ours. Through that, we're forever yours just incredibly grateful. And we pray that you would just prepare our hearts as Pastor Rich brings your message this morning. God, speak through us through just the impactful events that we, fa- that we face here this morning. God, show us something new. We just praise you this morning. We thank you. God, we're so thankful. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Maybe seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We are so glad that you are with us today. Um, I absolutely love this time of the year. It's an opportunity for us to slow down if we can, and it's an opportunity for us to reflect back on the past year. It's an opportunity for us to start thinking about friends and family and thinking about the new year. And so it's it's just a fun time of the year, but I also recognize it's also a time when many people are struggling as they think through about the, you know, the loss of a loved one or uh, you know, just something in their life that's not going the way that it should go. And it's an opportunity for us to encourage one another as well. But Christmas is such a fantastic time to be able to celebrate and celebrate that together. And we're glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us today, uh, we're glad you're with us. If you're watching online, we're glad you're with us as well. Um, you can text uh, the keyword here to that phone number or scan that QR code just to let us know that you were here. I would like the opportunity to celebrate uh, that with you. You've got a connection card uh, there on your seat, and uh, you can take a few moments to fill that out and share with us as much information as you feel comfortable sharing. There's a place to drop that off in the back on your way out this morning, but uh, we're so glad that you're with us. If you're online, you can click that um, prayer request button to talk to one of our online hosts, or if you've got any questions, um, we'd love the opportunity uh, to talk with you and to get to know you a little bit better. Um, We are uh, coming up on the end of the year, and we are 80% of the way complete with our year-end offerings, so that is a huge praise. Thank you for all of those that um, have just had an opportunity to give to that. We have some exciting opportunities as we move into the next year. We have an opportunity to partner um, with some of our local school districts. We're looking at working with Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, We have an opportunity to sponsor a a church planter um, up in Michigan. I think we've got the next slide's got some information for you on that. Uh, then we also have an opportunity to support Tim Nash, who's down in Tecate, Mexico. He's one of our missionaries we're able to put back in our budget. And then uh, we also have an opportunity to do some things internationally with missions next year. So we're really excited about that. Uh, Pastor uh, Jeff and, uh, 
and Kyle Smoot, our, children, our, our student ministries coordinator, had an opportunity to talk through uh, what our missions trip might look like for our student ministries. And so we're going to be going to Guatemala next year. And so it's going to be a church-wide mission trip. And so uh, we'll have some more information uh, for you on that. But we just have an exciting year. And we're so grateful um, for God's provision uh, for our ministry as we head into this new year. In fact, next January for our uh, annual meeting and celebration banquet, we're going to be meeting here. Right now, the plan is to meet here at Springbrook. We're going to be meeting from uh, 5.30 to 7. Um, we're going to have dinner. We're going to spend some time talking about our vision for next year. We're going to be celebrating uh, the affirmation of new, new elders and our budget. And, and so we're going to have a fantastic time uh, together on the 28th. And so if you're a member or one of our core team uh, members at Springbrook, we want to encourage you to be sure to, to sign up for that. We're going to be voting on some things that are going to be really important. Um, if you're not a member of Springbrook, uh, you're more than welcome to attend. It's a great opportunity to hear a little bit about our ministry and our vision for next year. And so if you have any questions about that, you can go to our website and uh, get more information about that. But please register for that as we start to prepare, um, especially for the dinner. We're going to have a fantastic time together. And then I've had several questions about our Christmas Eve service. And are you guys doing anything uh, special for Christmas Eve? And I say, yes, we're going to have a great Christmas Eve service. And you know why it's going to be great? Because we are going to be together. You know, my dad came up from uh, Indiana this week, and uh, my sister, and then my daughter came down from Wisconsin, and we were together last night, and so we exchanged some gifts because we're not going to be together on Christmas, but next Sunday, my sister's coming up from Texas, and we're going to get together again, but there's something about getting together uh, at this time to celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus that is just special. And so for our Christmas Eve service, we're going to be combining that evening service with our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service. And so we're going to have our Christmas Eve service uh, uh, during our normal service. But it's going to be a fantastic time because we are going to be together. And uh, we are going to have a fantastic time with that. Kids are going to be able to stay in uh, the service with their parents. And uh, we're going to have a candle lighting service. We've got some special music we're going to be playing. And so it's going to be a fantastic time. We want to encourage you to not miss out on that opportunity for us to gather um, together to celebrate uh, the birth of our Savior. We are in a series looking at the I Am statements of Jesus, and today we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus claims to be the I Am, and his metaphor describing himself is that he is the resurrection and the life. Both in the resurrection and in the new life that we have in Christ is where we find our hope, and we desperately need hope. Recognize or not, we all need hope, and so that's going to be our theme for our message this morning together. Our drama team is going to come out now, and they have a drama for you that's going to illustrate the importance of how we all need hope. Let's uh, enjoy this together. You might know who I am, or someone like me anyway. You see, last Christmas, I had a change of heart, just like a certain fictional character written about long ago. And just like with that fictional character, sometimes God has to deal drastically with certain people in order to make his point. For example, in Ezekiel, God had to remove his presence from the children of Israel, and then after a certain period of time, he replaced it with the physical presence of his only begotten son. For from the fullness of his love, we have all received one blessing after another. John 1.17 says, 
The law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus didn't come to replace the law. He came to fulfill it. And he did it with love. God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But you know, when he came, he didn't come as an adult. He didn't come as some vengeance-seeking monstrosity. No. The most powerful being in the entire universe. He came in meekness. And he dwelt humbly in a body. Just as was prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9.6 For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. So, just as God showed his love to the world, and Jesus showed his love of the Father to the people, we should show our love to those who are less fortunate than we are. This Christmas, let's give back the same thing that God gave us. Unselfish love. Oh, and remember, people need the Lord. Every day they pass me by, I can see it. In their eyes, empty people filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries, only Jesus hears. People need the Lord, people need the Lord at the He's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize people need the Lord? 
We are called to take his light into a world where wrong seems right. What could be too great a cost for sharing life with one who's lost? Through his love, our hearts can feel all the grief they bear. They must hear the words of life. Only we can share. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. He's the way, the truth, the He's the open door. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. When will we realize that we must give our Amen. People need the Lord, don't they? And it's not just people in general. We have 350,000 people just in a circle around our church, and our community needs the Lord. You know, there's people in your workplace, there's people in your neighborhood, there's maybe family members or friends that, that you have that need the Lord. And that, and that is the hope that offers us at, at Christmas as we look at the birth of Jesus. These I Am statements about Jesus are claims that he makes about himself as the great I am, and these metaphors describe characteristics about himself in terms of how we relate to him. And, and today we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life, and we need that hope. You know, it's in that metaphor that he is the resurrection and the life that, that we find the hope that we're looking for. 
Today we're looking at this uh, metaphor of I am, uh, the, the, um, the resurrection of life. We've been looking at these different metaphors, the bread of life, the light of the world, the door of the sheep, the good shepherd we looked at last week. The next week we're going to be looking at uh, Jesus' metaphor to be the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to be finishing up with um, the true vine. But today we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The resurrection is this, that you will die and then you will live. And in John eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And who everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so Jesus makes some claims about himself with regard to being the resurrection. You're going to die, but the good news is this, that you're going to live again. Our hope is in the resurrection. And then he also says that he is the life. As a result of our faith in him, our life is secure and we have nothing to fear. Even in the faith of death, our hope is rooted in him. Jesus is the resurrection and the life, and it is him that we find our hope. And this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning is sandwiched right in the middle of the chapter 11 of John. It's right in between the death of Lazarus and his resurrection. So Lazarus will die, and then he'll be resurrected, and right in the middle of that is the teaching of Jesus about the fact that he is both the resurrection and the, and the life. You know, I was watching uh, The Incredibles. It's one of my favorite movies that I like to watch with the kids. And, and to quote uh, Bernie Kropp, Dash Parr's teacher, when he goes to prove that Dash was putting tax on his chair, he says this. He says, uh, is that a coincidence? I think not. <laughs> and so Jesus sandwiches his teaching right in between the death of Lazarus and his resurrection. The resurrection is reflected in that the fact that whoever believes in me, though he dies, shall live. And, and, then the, and then the life is reflected in the fact that everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so Jesus illustrates this point by sandwiching it right in there. And he does that with intentionality so that we don't miss the point. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he sandwiches that there so that he would be clear, so that we would understand with fullness what exactly that means. And so we're in this uh, series, we're looking at the, the resurrection of life today, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, um, Jesus is going to show us that he is the uh, resurrection, and that the resurrection is real, you're going to die, but then you're going to live. And then Jesus would show us um, that he is also the life, and that in him we find that life. And he's going to raise Lazarus, he's going to use Lazarus to, to teach us the reality of these truths. We're in John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says there was a certain man named Lazarus of Bethany. He was in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It's the Mary and Martha that we've read about before. Martha was always busy about the business of the home, and Mary stopped to, you know, to worship at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says to Martha, not that what you're doing is not important, but what Mary chose is better. So we're looking at these Mary and Martha. It was Mary that also... Uh, anointed the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And that was the brother of, uh, she was the brother of Lazarus, and he was the one that was ill. And so these sisters send to Jesus to say that our brother is ill. They sent to him saying, Lord, the one that you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said this, this illness is not going to lead to death. For it is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified 
through it. And so Jesus says, I understand that this is a dire situation. This illness is not going to lead to death. death. I've got a purpose for what we're going to accomplish through this. In John, in verse 11, he says, uh, this illness is not going to lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that I may be glorified through it. And so this account of Lazarus dying is going to be one that Jesus uses to illustrate the importance and the reality and the centrality of the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. As we continue on in verse 5, it said that Jesus uh, loved Martha and her sister. Uh, He loved them. He loved Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was uh, ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was And after this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. So after hearing that Lazarus was ill, he didn't stop what he was doing immediately. He stayed two days longer because of some other things that he had to accomplish there. And so he said to the disciples, after the two days was over, let's go to Judea. And so the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you, and, and, they're, and you're going to go there again? And Jesus said, well, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. And if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go to awaken him. And so the disciples are talking about whether or not it's safe to go back. Jesus says, hey, we don't have to worry about this. We can walk in the light and be safe because we're walking in the light. We're not going to walk in the dark. We're not going to hide from this. And so we're going to go there. And so we're going to embrace this. And and then he says, we're going to go to our friend Lazarus. And he says, he has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go to awaken him. And so the disciples say to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he's going to recover Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant that he was doing nothing more than taking a nap. They thought he had just fallen asleep, that he's going to recover. But in verse 13, Jesus says, speaking of his death, they thought he was taking a sleep. Jesus said, look, he's not just sleeping. It's pretty plain. He's died. And so he's not just sleeping. In verse 14, it says, plainly that he has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Jesus is telling them that he's not just sleeping, he's going to die. I'm letting this happen. This whole thing's going to unfold so that you might come to believe that I am who I claim to be. And so he does this to, to bolster our faith He says to them, I'm doing this so that you might believe. And so Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, that we may go die with him. And so they're thinking, this is it. We're all going to go, and this is going to be the time that we're all going to have to to die because of our faith. But that's not what Jesus wants to accomplish. He's got a, a plan for them as he seeks to accomplish, helping them to understand what it means to be the resurrection and the life. And so he's talking about the fact that he's not sleeping, he's dead. I'm glad for your sake that I was not there to save him so that you might believe, but let's go to him. And so Jesus is using this experience that they're going to have to point them to the reality of who he is so that they might come to understand what it means to be the resurrection and the life. And so we pick up in verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been put in the tomb. It's been four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about, it was about two miles off. 
And so they've come there. It was a long journey. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and to Martha to console them concerning their brother. And so everybody's come together to console Mary and Martha because Lazarus has died. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha got there and said to Jesus, If you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But then she says this, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God's going to give it to you. And so she recognizes, you know, some divinity in Jesus, that she recognizes who Christ is. And so she says, hey, whatever you ask, I know that you can accomplish. She doesn't fully understand what's happening here, but she does recognize that Jesus has got some some power over life and death. Jesus said to her in verse 23, your brother is going to rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he's going to rise in the resurrection on the last day. And so she understands that there's going to be a resurrection. Jesus is talking about the fact that I'm going to raise him now. Martha's thinking that he's referring to the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming to the world And so Jesus is talking to Martha about the the resurrection. He said, your brother is going to rise again. And she says, I know that he's going to rise again on the resurrection on the last day. And so Jesus is thinking, well, you got that part right, but that's not what I'm talking about. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, shall live. And so Jesus shifts her understanding from the resurrection at the last day to understanding that Jesus is making some claims about himself to be the resurrection. You see, Martha understands that there is going to be a last day. Martha understands that those that have died are going to be raised. There's this intermediate, intermediate state that we all are going to be in when we die. We die, our bodies are in the ground, but we go into God's presence and, and if we have a relationship with Christ, we go into his presence immediately. And if we don't have a relationship with Christ, we're separated from God at that point as well. We're separated from our bodies, but our bodies are here. And that is not just a, a New Testament teaching. You know, I think many times people think that the resurrection is a New Testament teaching, but this idea of resurrection and what this looks like and the whole idea of heaven and hell, these are all Old Testament principles. The resurrection is not just a New Testament idea. It's taught throughout the entire, entire scripture, all throughout the New Testament teaching. In fact, in uh, Isaiah 26 and verse 19, Isaiah says this, your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. And so the idea that the dead are going to be raised is an, is an Old Testament principle. And then one of the clearest, one of the clearest Old Testament passages about the bodily resurrection is found in Daniel where he says this in chapter 12. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake. Some are going to go to everlasting life and some are going to go to shame and everlasting contempt. And so the idea that we die, we're we're going to be separated from our bodies, but at some point there's going to be a resurrection and a judgment. And and where we are with our faith is going to have a, a determination about where we spend eternity is something that we find all the way back in Daniel. As you read through the Old Testament, the, the understanding of the resurrection is something that was clear to them. 
It's clear to Martha. And so when Martha gets to us, to Jesus, she understands what the resurrection is. And so for us today, we have the benefit of being able to celebrate Easter. We know that Christ died, that he rose again, and that he was resurrected. And so this resurrection is an Old Testament idea. We see it clearly in the New Testament. And we've come to understand the fullness of what that means in Christ for us today because of what we know about the New Testament. And so this is not an old, this is not an old, uh, this is not a new concept. This is something that's been around for a long time. And I'm, I'm still surprised how many people either don't believe this or have never heard this before. The good news about the birth of Christ is this, that he came into the world to take our sin. And that's what we're celebrating. People need the Lord. We need that good news. He is the Emmanuel. He is God with us. And we need that hope that is provided to us as a result of the birth of Christ. I'm surprised how many people still don't understand or reject that. The birth of Jesus and the understanding that he is God, that he is the great I am, that he is the one that has come to take away our sins is the the fundamental foundation of our faith. It's the fundamental foundation of Christianity. And if you take that away, then we are all still dead in our sins. Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised from the grave, then we're still dead in our sins. And worse than that, we're misleading people. And so fundamentally is the truth that Jesus came as God, the only one that could take our sins on himself. And that's what we celebrate when we're celebrating Christmas is the birth of our Savior. And I'm surprised how many people in my neighborhood, in our community, don't understand that. Or worse, have chosen to reject that or not believe it. And it's always been a problem. This is not a new problem. It's always been a problem even for Jesus. The Sadducees or the Jews who denied the resurrection, they were motivated by wealth and power and, and, the, and the money that was coming in. And they had a very legalistic view of the oral tradition and the law. They were very stuck on the law and oral tradition and, and Jesus was a threat to them. And so they came to Jesus uh, when he was teaching about the resurrection in Matthew. They say this, you know, you are, there's no such thing as the resurrection. And Jesus says to them, you're wrong. You're wrong because you neither know the scriptures nor do you know the power of God. As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? And so we need to read the Bible like Jesus did. He looks at the Old Testament. He looks at those passages and he, and he helps us to understand how to see the God of life whose power will prevail over the grave and apply that to himself so that we can find and place our faith and hope in him. And that's exactly what he does for Martha. He says this in, in verse 23 and 25, he said, you're, you're right, your brother is going to rise again. I know that he's going to rise on the resurrection of the last day, but then he shifts his understanding of resurrection for her and says, I am that resurrection. It's in me that you have that hope. It's not just an event. It's something that is embodied in who I am. I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, shall live. Martha understands that there is a resurrection. And Jesus points her to the fact that it's, it's not just an event. It's something that's not just going to happen, but that he himself is the embodiment of what the resurrection is, what it means, and what it means to have life and have hope in that. I am the resurrection and the life. And then Martha, hearing this, goes back to her sister, picking up in verse 28, when, when uh, she had heard all these things, she went and called her sister Mary, 
in private, and she said, the teacher is here and he's calling you. And when she heard it, she rose up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still in the place where Martha had met him. Jesus hadn't gone all the way into the town yet to encounter the disciples. He had not come all the way into town yet to raise Lazarus. He was waiting at the place that he engaged with Martha because he wanted Mary to come out and meet him. And when the Jews were with Mary at her house, when they were consoling her, when they saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to continue to mourn the loss of her brother. Can you imagine their surprise when she didn't go there and it showed up with Jesus? And so she went out to Jesus and all the Jews followed her out there. And when Mary came to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the exact same thing that Martha said, except she doesn't follow it up. But, with I, but I know that you can do whatever you say you're going to do. And so Mary and Martha, Martha usually gets a, a bad rap because when it comes to the foot washing of Jesus, um, she's the one that's busy doing the work, and uh, Mary's the one that is the spiritual one that sits at the feet of Jesus and, and washing his feet. But here we see the roles reversed. And so now Martha is engaged mentally. She understands what the resurrection is, and Mary is the one that Jesus has to spend some time explaining the resurrection and the life to. And so Mary falls down and says, if you had only been here, you could have saved him. When she said that, Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping. They were all weeping because of the death of their friend Lazarus. And it says, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? He said, Lord, come and see. And so we could spend a little bit of time, you know, this, this John chapter 11 is one of, those, it's one of those chapters where we could spend probably a good six weeks working through it. And so there's various components of the, uh, of the chapter that I just encourage you to spend some time, uh, you know, in that. We're going to focus specifically on Jesus' claim to be the resurrection of life. And then we've got some illustrations and some points we're going to make at the end. But the, one of the things that's fascinating to me about this is there's a lot of speculation about Jesus being troubled. You know, from a, from a language perspective, it was he was disturbed. He was upset because of what was happening. And people make speculations about the fact that he was upset because his friend died or maybe he was upset because, you know, they just were not people of faith and they didn't understand. We really don't know in detail why he's upset, but he's, he's moved. He's weeping, obviously, uh, because he's lost his friend and he cared deeply for Lazarus as well. And so he says, where have you laid him? Let's come and see. In verse 35, it said, Jesus wept. And so if you want to mem- memorize a passage of scripture, memorize John chapter 11, verse 35. Jesus wept. It's two words. <laughs> in that passage, we see Jesus' compassion towards his friends. We see his compassion towards others as they all are mourning the loss of, of Lazarus. And so he said, well, let's go see him. The Jews wept. And so the Jews said, oh, look, see how they love him? See how much he loves them? He's, he's weeping with them. And so some of the Jews connect with the, the emotional part of the weeping, but some of the Jews said, could he not be the one who have opened the eyes of the blind man? Could he have not kept this man from dying? If he's so powerful, why didn't he do what he claimed to do? Why wasn't he able to do this amazing miracle? And so some of the Jews that are, that are there are questioning uh, who Jesus is. Jesus was deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. 
There was a cave with a stone laying by it. And he said, take the stone away. And it's there that we move in to start to see this miracle that, that Jesus would perform. You know, as we get into verse 38, you know, Jesus is deeply moved. He's come to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor. He has been in there for four days. They didn't embalm him. He's just been sitting in there, wrapped up for four days, and she says there's going to be a significant order. Should we really go in there? But they took the stone away, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I'm saying this on the account of the people that are standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And so Jesus performs this miracle. And as you read through these passages, 44 verses here, the first 43 verses are all pointing us to the reality of the hope that we have in Jesus. Jesus is talking about the resurrection. He's talking about the fact that we are going to be raised. He's talking about the fact that he is the resurrection and resurrection is coming through him. And he's talking about the life that we have through him. And so all of those first 43 verses are pointing to the reality of who Jesus is. And it's at the very end, in the last two verses, that we find the actual miracle of Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave, where he comes back to life and he walks out of the grave. And so the whole passage, we get two verses that help us to understand what this miracle is, is about. Jesus would say with, his, with his, just his words, he would destroy death. Lazarus, come out. With just his words, he destroys death and he brings out life and immortality and he brings it out into the light. That's what uh, the Apostle Paul's writing about in 2 Timothy in, in chapter 1. We read that uh, Paul is talking about you know, this hope in Christ that we've been entrusted with. He says in verse 8, we are not to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. We are to share in the suffering for the gospel of the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages, and which he now has manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality out into the light. God's plan from the beginning has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who would abolish death and bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins, that through our faith in him, he takes residency up in our life. The old is gone, the new is gone, is created. We're new creations in Christ. And the good news is this, that Jesus transforms us and gives us life. And not just life for eternity, because we are anticipating heaven, but life so that we can have it to the full today. That manger didn't just hold a baby. 
it held a Savior. And that manger is empty. And then the cross, it is empty. The entire Bible points to the redemption of new life that we have in Christ. John would write about this in 1 John. He says this in chapter 5. And this is the testimony that God gave us, the eternal life, the life that is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so we find our life in Christ. Now, you might be alive right now. In fact, obviously you are. (laughs) You're watching this. You're listening to this. And so you're obviously alive. But without Jesus, you don't have the hope that is found in the resurrection. You know, we're all going to be raised. We're, We're all going to be raised. And then based on our faith in Christ, we're going to spend either eternity in his presence or separated from him. Without Jesus, you're not going to experience the full life that God has for us as a result of the resurrection. We're not going to experience that today, and we don't have the hope of spending eternity in heaven. We're all going to face death. Some of us have already faced it and survived. I've, I've got stories I could share with you. This life is temporary. You know, we are all going to face death. This world has fallen, and it's broken, but it's in Christ that we find hope. That's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, we are to not lose heart. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being renewed day by day. And so we are all getting older. It's a truth that we all have to embrace. We were talking, I was with the grandkids were running around the other day, the little ones, and they're still growing, they're still growing. I'm thinking, well, it's, I think it's at 21, everything stops developing, and then we start to decline. <laughs> I told my wife, I said, yeah, I think I'm, I'm halfway up the hill. I'm halfway there. And she looked at me and she goes, you are, you are way over the hill, buddy. <laughs> I said, thanks. I don't feel like it. Inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. We are all wasting away. But inwardly, because of the hope that we have in Christ, because of the Holy Spirit working in us, we're renewed on a, on a daily basis. And it's going to be at the return of Jesus that the perishable, the perishable will finally put on the imperishable. When Jesus returns, when that trumpet sounds and Jesus returns, the dead are going to be raised. If you're still alive when he, when, he, when he appears, you're going to be transformed. We're going to be new in the twinkle of an eye. The dead are going to be raised and we're going to be transformed and we are going to spend eternity either in his presence or separated from him based on our relationship with Christ. All this is going to happen at the return. The perishable is finally going to put on the imperishable. Our culture encourages us to look inward for meaning. Look to yourself, to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what do I need? What makes me happy? Our culture encourages us to look to ourselves to find hope. It encourages us to to pull our pants up by our bootstraps. We're encouraged to take matters into our own hand. But Jesus points us to a different reality. Jesus points us to the fact that our hope and our encouragement lies in him as our resurrection in our life. Our culture points us to self-centeredness, but Jesus gives us a completely different perspective. He points us to the fact that our hope is in him. I am the resurrection and the life Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. Isn't that great news? That no, that knowing that it is, it is great news. <laughs> that, little, that little baby in the manger came to save us. And Jesus points to the reality of the fact that if we believe in him, we shall live for all eternity in heaven. 
Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And obviously, as we've mentioned, you're, we're, we're, going, we're going to die. But because of our relationship with him, because of the Holy Spirit working in us, we're renewed on a daily basis. Christians are not just sitting around waiting for Christ to come back and waiting for heaven. He's got a plan and a purpose for every one of us. And we have hope as a result of our faith in Christ. And, and we live each day being renewed as he works his power out in our lives. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and life. Who believes in me, though he die, dies, he shall live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You know, this is the time of the year when people are celebrating Christmas and men, it is so easy to talk about Jesus. It is so easy to talk about Jesus at this time of the year. Everybody's got that baby in the manger. But that's not where he is. And so as we engage in conversations with people, it's a great opportunity to say, you know, I got a Christmas card the other day. It's got this little baby in the manger. It's really a cute picture. I'm sitting there thinking, that is nothing what it was like. I don't know about you ladies, but the thought of giving birth in a stable, in a manger, it's not clean. I mean, the straw was nice and clean. It's like, oh, it's such a pretty picture. You know, Jesus came down into a fallen and broken world to help us to have a relationship with a heavenly father that loves us and cares for us and wants a relationship with us. And he says that in him we find life and we find hope in the resurrection and in life. And do you believe this? The majority of people in our community, in our culture, don't believe this. They don't believe this or they don't understand it. The simplicity of the gospel is a stumbling block to many. And so this morning, if that's, if that's not crystal clear in your mind, as we look through these seven I am statements of Jesus, each one of these statements is going to demand that we either accept it and we believe it or not. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've got questions about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. From a scriptural perspective, if you believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for your sins and that he resurrected, He's going to come back, and those that have a relationship with Christ are going to be gathered together. If you believe that and you pray for that, the Holy Spirit comes into you and and you get new life. You're no longer dead in your sins, but you're alive in Christ. You know, do you believe that? That's a fundamental challenge that, that Jesus asked Martha. And she says, I believe. I believe that you are the Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. Many of the Jews didn't, and many of the people around him didn't, and many people don't today. You know, it's fascinating when you look down through, there's so many things to unpack in this passage. One of the things as I got towards the end of the week, there was something that just stood out to me that I just could not get out of my mind. It's at the very end. It's the last verse. After Lazarus had come out of the grave, he who had died came out, his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped in a cloth. I want you to picture this. He comes out and he's still wrapped up. He's walking around, and he's still bound. Jesus had to tell them, unbind him and let him go. There are so many Christians walking around today. They're alive in Christ. They've made, Christ, they've made a faith commitment, but, but they're walking around like this, and they're still bound. That the idea that you can have a relationship with Christ, you can be raised to new life, but you still have things that are holding your back from experiencing the fullness of what Christ has accomplished for you is a reality. Sometimes we need to be told, unbind them. 
And so we want to help people understand not only how to have a relationship with Christ because we want them to have new life, we want them to have the hope of the gospel, we want them to understand the importance of the resurrection, but we want to help people to be able to experience the fullness of what God has for us. You know, Jesus came so that we can have life and have it to the full, and we want to help people to experience the fullness of life that is ours in Christ. It's not just about making a faith commitment and becoming a Christ follower. It's about who we are together as the body of Christ. And when we come together for our Christmas Eve service, that's during the morning, it's going to be a special time together because we are going to be together. And we're going to be encouraging one another all the more as we see the day approaching. It's so important that we not forsake meeting together so that we can encourage one another to take off those things that unbind us. We are easily entrapped and we need to encourage each other to run the race that is laid out before us in Christ. And so our gathering together is an important part of how we're unbound. You know, we have spiritual gifts that are used to build up the body of Christ, and we are unbound. As we start to unpack the the fullness of of understanding who God's created us to be and what our gifts are and, and how we can use those to build up the body of Christ, we become alive. We're contributing to something outside of ourselves. Christianity is not a one-man sport. It's a, we are the body of Christ. And each one of us fits together, working together to accomplish his plans and purposes. And we encourage one another, as Paul says, on a daily basis, we're renewed. Our small groups get together. We pray for one another. We encourage one another. We take meals to those that are broken hearted or stuck at home. You know, a ministry is designed to help us to be able to experience the fullness of who we are in Christ. And I just want to encourage you this morning. If you have questions about a relationship with Christ, or maybe you've just been kind of stumbling along and you're just trying to figure out, hey, how do I experience the fullness of life? We'd love the opportunity to pray with you and talk with you. You can, uh, you can speak with me after the service. You can text next steps this number or scan that QR code. As we, as we move through this series, as we move towards the new year, we want and we pray for people to be able to experience the fullness of who we are in Christ. What we believe is important. We believe in God our Father. We believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit working together, three is one. You know, we believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, and we believe in Jesus, and we place our hope and our faith and our trust in Him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day you've given us today, and God, we all desperately need the Lord. Sometimes we're more aware of that than at other times. But God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to come together to to celebrate the fact that in Christ we have our hope. We know that he is in the resurrection and, and we, we, we put our faith and our trust in that. We know that when he comes again, there's, that we, we're going to be we're gonna be gathered together with him and we have the assurance of spending eternity in heaven. God, that is a great gift. And we're not just anticipating that, but we can experience that. We get a, a little glimpse of what heaven is like now as we come together, as we worship together, as we serve one another, as we love you and love others. And so, God, thank you for the opportunity we have to, to do that uh, together. And God, we know that in, in Christ we find new life. And so, God, I just pray for my friends this morning, God, that they would be able to experience the fullness of who they are in Jesus as we move through this Christmas season. We look forward to all that you have for us as we prepare to enter to this next year. We lift our lives up to you, for you and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we continue to worship this morning.
Church, this morning, I just want to encourage you, just like Pastor Rich had already said. This is the basis of what we believe. This is the solid rock that we stand on. And if this morning you're not sure how this plays into your life, you're not sure you quite understand it, please do not leave without talking to somebody. This season we get to celebrate the coming of Christ, our Savior, in the most humblest of form. We have the opportunity to spread this with those that we come in contact with, whether that be family or new people we haven't met before. It's so easy to just say Merry Christmas. So let's do that this season, knowing our foundation, knowing our rock, knowing where our faith stands. Let's go in peace. Thank you. Thank you.